Hey everyone, here we are again, episode seven of the Playing With Fire podcast. I'm here with your host, Josh Welton. He's also my husband. This is Darla Welton, and we're glad to be back here doing this. Yeehaw. Um, want to say thank you to everybody for listening to the first few episodes. Not all of them are up on iTunes and Spotify or on our website because they're not all great. <laughs> they, they blow. <laughs> but uh, If you really wanted to search for them, you could probably find them on YouTube, but yes. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Episode five, where we talk about our Still Building America project is up. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that one yet, please do. That is a project that we are very passionate about and making steps forward on just about every single day. Very excited about that. So please listen to that. Our last episode, episode six, was our special road trip edition as we took a a trip uh, with some family to Plymouth, Massachusetts for Thanksgiving. We talked about creativity and inspiration. So if you haven't listened to that one, please check that out. But today, Josh, what are we talking about? Well, I want to talk about a recent article that I wrote for the Welder Magazine talking about the difference between the wage gap and the skills gap and how the industry is pushing our trades using numbers that just aren't accurate. Uh, and I want to make sure, I want to make clear right off the bat that I, I'm not being negative towards the trades. It's quite the opposite. I I would love if everyone would want to go in the trades. That's you know not going to happen, and not everyone would want to. But my thing is, you have to be passionate about it to make it. You have to really enjoy what you're doing, which is so cliche, but it's true. If you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. And I I love what I do, uh, and I would recommend anyone who has an interest in welding or in the trades to pursue it. But I don't want you jumping into it thinking you're going to make a boatload of money or that being your prime reason for uh, joining the trades. And my biggest issue is with uh, certain statistics that we've all heard that come from uh, you know, some, someone like the AWS and then it just gets repeated ad nauseum with nobody actually fact-checking. So I did a bunch of research for that piece. Uh, if you haven't, if you don't have the uh, the November December issue of the Welder, grab it. Or if you can go to the Fabricator and find it, uh, thefabricator.com. What's the name of it? It's both eyes open. Going to the trades with both eyes open, I believe. So ever since I was a kid, uh, you know, I've, I've been in and out of factory since I was eighteen, and I've heard about the skilled trades gap or that the average worker, you know, and it was just general, the average, you know, blue collar worker is 55 and everyone's going to retire and like retire at 60 or 60, 62, whatever, 65. That was always the dream 30 and out come in and work. You know, you get a job in your twenties, work 30 years and retire. Uh, That's just not, that doesn't happen anymore. And the largest growing sector of our workforce is those age 54 and up. And why is that? Because there's tons of them, and the cost of living has skyrocketed. And, and we're living longer. We're living longer. Um, and to live longer, those medical expenses are going up. Just every, everything costs more, and wages have been stagnant since 1979. Uh, they actually, if you consider the uh, hours worked per week and then do the, do the wages based on that, they've actually decreased by 12% adjusted for inflation. So... 
it's uh, it, that's kind of a sad situation, and people just can't afford to retire earlier, so they're not. So let's say hypothetically that number was true. The implication is that everyone's going to retire. We need young people in there. There's going to be tons of jobs. Just that that's not it's not true. And also not true is the age. The average age of a welder in America is 40 years old. It's it's 15 years below what the AWS keeps saying it is. And where do you get that age of 40? Where do you get that number? The Board of Labor Statistics. Uh, actually, it's from there, but that one was from a site. Ah, I can't remember the name of it. It's in the article. Uh, it's MIT put it together. And it's basically uh, kind of a, they organize labor statistics in a way that's easier to digest. Um, and they have a section specifically for welders. And the average age is, I believe it's 40. The average income is like $43,000 a year. And that brings me to the second part of that, which is saying that a welder's starting salary is $45,000 a year, which it's it's just not true. The average starting salary is like, what is it, 19? It, it's like half of that. The average overall salary for welders is $45,000 a year. That's a huge discrepancy between what all these articles are saying and what the truth is. Now, I keep getting people uh, arguing with me saying, well, it's not like that in the oil field or it's not like that uh, in my trade or in this. And well, yeah, there's I think 160 million, no wait, what is it? It's it's an insane number of people that work in the United States. Uh, it's just a fraction that make up what we do, and then even less that work in the specific fields, I guess you could say. Um, the first part of that is we're talking about averages. So yeah, there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows. So Anecdotally, you can't just come on and say, well, I started at $80,000 a year. Well, yeah, there's four other people telling me they started at $19,000 a year, $25,000 a year. Right. And, and for the record, if you're paying a good wage, so let's, if you're working for a company or you own a company or you're trying to hire and you're offering something above $45,000, $50,000 a year, contact me and I will share it because... I, you know, I want to connect the people who can do the job with the people who are offering that kind of pay. But those are so few and far between in the grand scheme of things. So one of the things that frustrates me is reading uh, blog after blog after blog that all repeat the same thing that you know this, the average wage is fit, or the average age is fifty five. The average wage is in the mid forties. You can make you know six figures relatively easily if you go to the right place and that you know there's just join an apprenticeship that's another thing that i hear all the time we had well i can't remember what the year was i think it was 2016 there were 160,000 new apprentices in the united states and you're like wow that's a really huge number except for it's out of I got to look for that number. And apprentices in one certain job, or is that apprentices applying to all skilled trades? I think all skilled trades. It's all skilled trades for sure. All okay. trades. I don't even know if it's, I believe it's all skilled trades. That's the other thing you get into is you get into skills and skilled trades and trades. And sometimes people use them interchangeably. What I know is the I difference? Uh, so 
the skills gap, they're talking about IT people. They're talking about uh, lawyers and uh, service technicians and things that have nothing do, to do with swinging a hammer or cutting metal or welding. It's something totally different. The skilled trades wage gap is more specific. That's when you're talking about boilermakers and plumbers and pipe fitters and tinsmiths and millwrights and things like that. And that's the one that we're more concerned with. But as a whole, there's there's certainly parallels. And as a whole, the, the wages have remained stagnant. They have not increased as the cost of living has increased dramatically. I see blog after blog talking about these numbers and like okay so here's one that i that i grabbed earlier and the the top of it says facts still remain true even though this article was posted in 2018 but the blog that they're reposting was from 2013 uh, so that just shows that there's not a lot of thought that goes into a lot of these posts they just rehash old stuff over and over and over again they also talk about okay here's the here's the quote uh it's it was from like when Marco Rubio said, we need more welders and less philosophers, which is just BS. We actually probably need more philosophers and more welders. And then they used the number in 1988, there were about 570,000 welders compared to the 360,000 in 2012. And basically they blame that 200,000 job wage gap on us. They, like it's the laborers, like it's the, the workers' fault. And the reality is... Wait, is, it's the workers' fault or like a generational fault? Either or. They're blaming it on the the side that works for somebody, not the side that does the employing. Uh, okay. So when they say that we lost 200,000 skilled tradespeople or, or welders specifically, they're, in this article, they're implying that those jobs are still out there. We need, you know, a bunch of people to fill them. When like reality we have two hundred and sixty thousand yeah, something jobs yeah, to fill. Yeah, and then you look at it, and in reality, it's you know fifty thousand are in Thailand welding. The other, you know, they're just some of them are automated. They're using other resources. Oh, you mean jobs have been outsourced is what you're saying? Yes. Okay, yeah. I have a hard time talking about this without going down too many rabbit holes, so I'm going to try to keep this concise. But basically, the the thing I wanted to get across in this particular podcast was just to make sure that my article came off the right way. If you take it, people are building straw man arguments. They're saying, well, if you're not making money, then go into the oil field. And that's like saying to a dentist, if you don't like what you're doing, become a brain surgeon. Like, that's just not the path you chose. And hypothetically, say it is, there's a limited number of those jobs. It's not like they're just falling out of trees. And if you happen to be in a place that's offering a lot of those jobs, in five years, is that going to be the case? Because the oil industry is extremely volatile. And I know five years ago, people were struggling to get jobs in that industry and now they're struggling to find people and that's part of the problem is that we ignored training for a long time and then at the snap of a finger a company wants to say oh we need this skill we need but they don't want to train they don't want to pay for training and they don't want to pay for skill pay for skill 
So even, but even hypothetically, let's say they would pay for skill, but they don't want to pay for training and they're saying they can't find these people. They're setting up a straw man argument for the government to give them more funding for training because they don't want to pay for it. Uh, the government to allow them to hire more immigrant workers, which if, it, if you're a legal immigrant, that's, that's fine. But when you're getting work visas and then it's put out there as a temporary thing, like in the tech industry, they, I think they sought like, I can't remember what the number was, but it was like 26,000 visas so they could fill these skilled IT jobs. And it was supposed to be a temporary thing. And then they looked 10 years later and there were still 26,000 immigrants working in these skilled jobs. So these companies didn't actually try to train anybody. They just were like, oh, hey, the government let us hire these cheap workers that are already trained. We'll keep doing this. But let's get back to the article and what I was trying to get across. So like I was saying, with that, that's the biggest thing is, is I'll get one or two people proposed that are, you know, just, just switch trades, just do this, just do that. It's not an easy thing to do. When Josh, you, have a, you should just become a plumber. Exactly. Except for I, I like what I do and I do all right at it. But that's the same thing. Like if I, let's say that I got laid off and I couldn't find work as a welder. Oh, just move to Alaska and become a construction worker. Like that, what? I mean, I guess I could if I was single, but I have a family. Move to the Gulf. Start working on the, the pipeline. Well, and, that's, and that's the whole thing. Like, if you're, if you're 10 years into the trade and people don't want to pay for that experience unless you're out in the field, that's a huge strain on relationships. That's a huge strain on your family if you have kids. Um, the other factors that go into that are... Do you have to pay for your own rig? Do you have to pay for your own business insurance, your health insurance? Uh, what's the, are you going to be working six months out of the year or a full year? Or, you know, what's your job security like? And perhaps it's all good. And perhaps you're making $300,000 a year. And if you are, that's phenomenal. But the statistics don't lie. And less than 90% or excuse me, less than 10% of all welders make over $90,000 a year. And that's including oil, the oil industry. That's including uh, aer aerospace. That's including, that's everything. That's not just like cherry pick from here or there. That is a conclusive, all welders, you know, are in that range. So to say, well, yeah, but I make $120,000. That's awesome. I'm happy for you. But that's just not going to be the case for everyone. And the other thing is, we'll join a union. Unions are so tightly clamped around who they let in, or at least they have been, especially, okay, so in this point, I'm speaking from, from this area, and I know I've talked about that before. Josh, are you a part of the union? I am a part of the union. I've been in the UAW since 2002, and I've been highly critical of the leadership, and part of that is, so right now in Detroit, we're dealing with the scandal of the UAW and certain executives at Chrysler conspiring to steal millions of dollars, and that was money that was earmarked for training for the UAW Chrysler Training Center. Part of that was to hire apprentices. So when we looked at our contract and it said we were supposed to hire 450 apprentices in a certain contract, and then we only hired 150, and the UAW says, oh, we didn't have funding. Well, that's because the leader stole all the funding. So you've got that issue. Uh, so the leadership stole jobs. That's great. That. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> Literally, they did. And 
so I'm, I, and I'm a huge proponent for organized labor. I just think we need to fix it. And part of it is growing who you allow to be trained. And that's one of the things I was, I was doing some, another dive into a rabbit trail today. And it was talking about unions and their relationship with apprenticeships in the United States and how they don't like there to be vocational training in high school or in junior high as a whole because that gives them less of an overall grip on the training and they like to have uh, control of the apprenticeship training. And that shows through basically the lobbying efforts they made with Washington through the history of the United States. Uh, I'll probably talk about that more in another podcast but I just wanted to touch on that here, that it's not just as easy as I'm going to join a union, you know, like here in the in the Detroit area. OK, go for it. Like maybe one out of 50 of you will will find a job there. Uh, will be allowed to go into training there uh, through a union, through a union. Yeah. And that's the only way. To can do you just go overall. and knock on the door of a union yeah, and say, I want a, an apprenticeship? Yep. And usually. From what I've heard, I I obviously didn't do that, but I've heard, I, I know people actually who have done that and they get put on a list and they say, we'll call you. Well, the list is populated with the the steward's nephew and the chairman's grandson. and Some nepotism there. And that's, that's honestly, that's how I got in. My father-in-law mm-hmm. got me in. Yeah. Uh, so, and then that class that I came through with everyone was connected like even holyfield's uh general holyfield who is the dude who would be in jail right now if he was still alive that's a whole nother crazy story his nephew and i went through an apprenticeship together and famously the first day of the class when we were going through like our general training and safety he held up when the instructor held up a tape measure he raised his hand and asked what do the lines between the numbers mean? Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so uh, that was an interesting situation. Super nice guy. I actually made a sculpture for him at one point. Nice. Not super bright, and as soon as he turned out, and his his journeyman did not want to pass him because he was not good at being a pipe fitter, but they were forced to by the union, and then as soon as he turned out, he went to international, which means Mm. you have a job for life, basically. It's not a, it's not a, it's an appointed position. It's not voted, so you're there, and you're making Mm. really good money without having to work on the floor, and they're actually finding out right now that some of this corruption is from people who got those kind of jobs, and they were afraid of going back to the factory floor because they'd gotten so used to working in offices and not doing anything that they would willingly break rules for their superiors so that they would stay there. So you had a bunch of yes people and that's how the corruption spread from the top down through the middle ranks. I think you could probably talk about that all day too. So maybe we'll, yeah, we will sorry. for another podcast. No, that's okay. Um, so we talked about, you know, can you just go to the door of a union and say, Hey, I want an apprenticeship. Hypothetically. I actually, when I went to, I went to a job, a construction job trade show here in Detroit uh, mid-November called Ready, Set, Build. And there were a few unions there passing out information about jobs and training. And Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, there were. So, I mean, that that might even... I, I was out of town for like all but six days in November, so I need to go through some of that material, but perhaps that's some stuff we can share online. Well, there were... There were- in the big picture, there were 200,000 apprentices 
hired last year, but you're talking out of 160 million jobs. So, and again, apprentices covering all skilled trades. Skilled trades, yeah, for the most part. I, honestly, that one I'd have to look at. I'm not sure if that included certain tech trades or not. And was that a number coming from the U.S. Department of Labor? That was, I would have to research that. I believe it came from the Board of Labor Statistics, but I'm not positive. So really, I mean, if there was a legitimate skills gap and the industry and the government were serious about closing it, how quickly could that be done? They could do it within a half a generation. They could do it within a four to five year training cycle. I mean, experience is great. But you can learn what you need to do to do your job rather quickly if if needed. And it's not <laughs> that's the whole thing is all these these companies are complaining about, oh, this knowledge is retiring. No, it's not. Like people are hitting fifty five. They're not retiring until they die. They're not retiring until they're in their seventies. Well, and so, then if they if they have these guys, they already work for the company and they're a journeyman, let's say, then they already have the resources for training, right? Because if you were to bring yeah, in new people... You... Yeah, it's a different budget. Okay. It's all in how the, the numbers play out. And companies don't like to spend money on training, which is why they lobby the government. To... And the companies don't have as much control as the union over that? Uh, I don't know. They might have... They have more money, so they probably have a little more power over that. But that's why you get a lot of UAW or union and company collusion and mm-hmm. corruption is to right. play around with those numbers because they like to have a control over it. Right. Uh, and again, I don't want to come across like I'm anti-union because I'm not. I'm pro-labor, uh, organized labor. I just think that this... I think you're pro-getting it right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, pro doing the right thing. And I think the UAW might need burned down to the ground. But <laughs> start, yeah, like start I said, over. It's a, a subject for another podcast. Uh, but yeah. What was the other... Protection oh, so, of workers' health and safety and wages oh, is important, important, right? But that's what's important. And if that goes away, <laughs> if that lobbying, if that part of the lobbying power goes away, that's when you see what's happening right now in the Michigan government, which is oh. the Democrats won. So, and I'm not, I don't want to get into politics, right? Uh, but the Republicans are doing one of the most, just to be completely honest, bitch ass moves. They are amending all these bills that the citizens voted for in their lame duck session. So they're doing it while they're all getting broomed out of the office. And then the person who's okaying it is the guy who lost the governor bid. And it's all like, it's reducing minimum wage or, or delaying when it's supposed to be raised, because I think that was a national mandate and they're just delaying it as long as possible. And uh, they also changed uh, the, the uh, payment while sick and you're allowed a certain number of sick days. They basically reduced that. Uh, the requirements for companies to abide by those rules. So it's just, it's it's one of those things where the people voted, the people spoke, and they spoke against, or they spoke for these proposals and against this party. And the the, the elected officials from the last time around are just basically giving us the middle finger is what it's coming down to. And I would say that if it was, the roles are reversed, but they're, they're not. <laughs> and this is what's happening. It just. Politics what, are ugly. We so often just let it fall into the hands of the politicians and forget that we are the ones who govern. So we have 
you know, we've got to say stuff about it. So that's why you in particular are, you know, standing up and advocating for the trades on wages here. Yeah. And I don't understand. That's one. It's another weird phenomenon that the people who are most adamant against it aren't necessarily uh, employers. Well, they are, but the most vocal ones are the people who make just a little bit more money than those people because they don't want to feel like, Hey, I work to get to this level. Why is that person getting paid more to do exactly what I did? Like say hypothetically, and I've seen this happen. So at a well, company, we wish they would have gotten paid more too. Yeah. That's, that's what you would, you would, that's the logical thing, but they yeah. don't think like that. They think that I'm doing good and I'm, I'm making it so everyone should I paid do it my dues exactly to get how to this I did level. it. But what I was going to say is I've worked in companies before where there was a certain wage and then somebody, and, and everyone came in at a different wage and somebody found out about the disparity and so they had to increase everyone else's wages. And there's a lot of bitterness between some of the old timers who went through making you know jack shit and the new guys who came in making that same amount of money. Uh, but in the end, everyone made more money and the old timers, they, they got their pay raises up to, you know, six figure level relatively easily. Uh, so I mean, they got, they ended up getting, you know, the, a rising tide rises, all ships, raises all ships, however the saying goes. But one other thing that I wanted to touch on with the article is the cost of living. So one of the other responses is, well, I make $50 an hour. And then I look at where the person's from, and it's San Francisco, where the poverty level is 110000 And the, I think in the last few months, the median house price, or was it the average or the lowest, is in the millions. Like, you can't get into a house for less than a million dollars in San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> which is, I mean, when you look at across the country, there's wide ranges of... So you could be working in, you know some little town where you don't have to travel much the you know insurance rates say you live in a state that's not michigan and the insurance rates are car insurance rates aren't through the roof uh you're out in the country you don't have city taxes to pay you know making 19 dollars an hour making 18 dollars an hour you're gonna do okay but there was actually a study where there is not one city in the united states where minimum wage would be a living wage which is insane. Right. You know, that doesn't make any sense. So one of the other things you have to look at is what are what are you what benefits are you providing yourself? Where are you at? And those are all part of the bigger picture on compensation. And that's the next thing is so while I'm hammering on on this and I'm kind of hitting the AWS pretty hard with and I don't the thing is is it's not the individuals that are doing it. It's not the schools that are pushing it. Well to an extent it is. But it's the it's the puppet masters like they're just the messenger. They think they're helping. They think that they're getting more people into the into, you know, more people jobs, more people training. And really, they're doing the company's bidding, the government's bidding. And the the end result is not good for the average worker. Uh, Again, I I just kind of did a went down a rabbit hole this afternoon looking a bunch of those stats. I won't do that tonight. Uh, it's late. I have to get up early for work in the morning. But the main thing is, I hope you read the article, and I hope that you read everything. You don't get to a point, and you're like, well, I don't agree with this. Uh, As opposed to the other pieces you're going to read, this one has statistics. It has footnotes from 
you know, the the Board of Labor Statistics, the uh, the Department of Labor, uh, the MIT program that I that I messaged, mentioned earlier. Whereas, do any do any lookup of any post on a skilled trade shortage, and they're going to throw out numbers, and they're probably not going to have a lot of real hard, uh, you know, evidence behind those. Um, so I don't want to, like, I don't want to come across as being hyper negative on the industry. I'm not. I, I'm an advocate for the workers. I'm an advocate for the people doing the job. Uh, I'm an advocate for small businesses, for people going off on their own and doing their own thing, which is much more uh, accessible right now than it's ever been, building your brand, and uh, whether it's through social media or basically social media. It's easier, but it's also tough because you cover, you know, you get taxed gosh, almost, you know, it's over, it's like 35% where usually you only get taxed like a 17% and your employer covers the yeah. other 18%. Yeah. But that's as another, a small business owner, you cover the full gamut. That's another thing is depending on how your contract is for welding, you know, is it, are you employing yourself? Because that's a huge tax hit. Uh, and that's another thing that I, that people have brought up like, well, I, I would pay more money, but then I have to pay more more in, in taxes. Like I would pay more, my employees more money. I, like I have one friend who owns a business right now and he's like, I would love to pay my guys more money. But if I did, I'd be hit with a different tier of payroll taxes, which would wipe out that money in the first place. So part of it is laws need to be changed. It's not just, it's not just the, the companies, even though they're doing a lot of the lobbying to keep those laws the way they are. Got to protect small business owners. Absolutely. That has to be a, a bigger part of the thing. But Overall, what I, we want to come up with solutions. We have ideas. Uh, I hope you have ideas. I've talked to other at Fabtech. I talked to a bunch of guys that, you know, are the, the creative juices are flowing. People are starting to to think about resolutions for these for these issues. And I I was I was serious when I was on I was on Art Junkies this weekend, and I talked about maybe we need maybe we need agents, maybe we need representatives. Uh, we need to learn oh, welders union become. Uh, better negotiators, which is just through education. Basically, we need to become more educated. Yeah, and that's the that's the next step out of this. Is I want to clarify. We want to clarify the numbers. We want to we want to show that what the industry has been pushing is BS. Uh, it's a lot of uh, hypotheticals and inferences that aren't logical that that don't make sense. And uh, you know. Once we know that, once we're we're educated on that, uh, we can move on to figuring out what the fix is, and and that'll be the next thing: is how do we how do we fix this? How do we increase our wage percentage? How do we make more money, get better benefits, have better working conditions? Anybody out there know any great negotiators, labor negotiators, maybe even like union and non-union? That would be fascinating. You know who you know who was. Who? Justin Verlander's dad. Really? Yeah, Can he was a big, Justin Verlander's was a big, dad. Uh, big negotiator in Virginia, I believe. He negotiated Justin's first contract. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We ne- oh yeah, we need to get like an agent who's like a hardcore negotiator when it comes to wages and get some tips from them maybe for just like, you know, the yeah, a general worker. You and on know. the other end, talking to HR would be interesting. HR reps. Uh, that was another yeah. thing that I found in my rabbit hole today was uh, hiring is not easy, and that's a big part of the problem. Is it's an expensive task, and so companies want to 
you know, they don't they don't want right. to pay that. I recently had a friend who works and he's an HR manager and I saw him post on Facebook just like to the general Facebook population, hey, um, aside from money you don't oh, yeah, see me rolling exactly. my eyes right now. Aside from money, what's a way for a company to show their employees how much they, you know, are valued? Money. And he was like, well, you just use the word value, you know? So, yeah. I mean, you got you to gotta make it worth it. And, yes, there's, you can, there's a lot to be said about a pat on the back or, you know, a, a thank you, being gracious and kind. Needs to be there, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because those, those working relationships can be, you know, strained if that um, side of it isn't there. So anybody out there who might have a contact for somebody that we can speak to, um, have them come and sit here at our table in our loft here in Detroit. Here's, here's one of the quotes. <laughs> We'd love I was, to have them. Here's one of the quotes I was looking up from an article uh, that I can give a link to to anybody who wants it. Uh, while employees say they can't afford to train new workers, they also they say they can't pay higher wages or find the money for sophisticated recruiting. That alone may be enough to explain why hiring is difficult for U.S. businesses. Many people would say this is not a public policy problem, but rather a natural consequence of capitalism and open markets. As we know, wages have been stagnant and even declining since infl- and when inflation has taken into account since the 1980s. However, however, as with anything else organizations buy, there's no guarantee that the price of labor will remain low. Eventually, eventually employers will figure that out. To solve the problem, they will need to raise wages and train workers. That seems to be a little uh, on the sunny side for me. I'm not so sure that they're ever going to figure that out. I think they would rather fight tooth and nail to not pay us a dime more. And that is the thing that I ran into a lot was these quotes on the companies say they need workers, but they also say they're not going to pay more. So they they want people who are already trained. They want people with a higher skill set, and they want to pay them like they're paying a new hire can't have your cake and eat it too that's that's what's going on so uh a lot to probably that was pretty dense a little bit to take in there uh again if you haven't (laughs) read the article uh it's about going into the trades with both eyes open Uh, like i said i i want people to do it i want them to be educated when they do it though i want them to do what they love uh or even like even just liking something Right. If you enjoy it, you can actually grow to love it. And that's the people who are super successful on, on that, that have contacted me through Instagram or social media. They're, they're passionate about it. They love what they do. Everyone's got a side hustle. Everyone's got, you know, pours their blood, sweat and tears into, into everything. And, and those are the people who are rewarded. It's not a lot of casual half ass, like, you know, Hey, I need a job. So I'm going to do this. Those aren't typically the guys who are, who are successful, nor necessarily should they be, but the floor needs to be raised yeah in a big way so you keep at it josh yeah (laughs) so thanks for listening to this episode of playing with fire and again (laughs) check out josh's latest article we'll be posting it up on our website it's also up on the fabricator.com you can just uh search for josh welton in their little search bar and all of his articles come up also Let's give a listen to our other podcast. Again, we're pretty excited about our Still Building America project. That is a clear uh, picture of how much Josh cares about cultivating future careers for future skilled workers. Um, But anyways, um, we're wrapping up. Thanks for listening to this episode of Playing With Fire.
peace.